Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you. How are you going, Marshy? Good afternoon to you, Ricardo. Um, welcome, everybody, to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run this afternoon. Plenty to digest, mate. <laughs> Plenty. to say there's a, lot, there's a lot happening, isn't there, in the game at the moment. Um, and, yeah, uh, it's made for a very interesting weekend so far. And um, we've still got rugby to come as well. And how good is it that we've still got rugby to come? You know, I don't, I, I don't think you can, it can be understated just how good afternoon footy is, whether it's Saturday or Sunday afternoon, playing under the blue sky. Dew's not a factor. Great for the crowds as well. Absolutely. Look, the fact that we can get that balance now, like we went through a stage where there was absolutely no balance, where uh, you, you had to just play at night and, and that was the way that rugby was going. But um, I think basically since since COVID came onto the scene and uh, New Zealand adopted the Aotearoa rugby over a couple of years, we were able to dictate when we wanted to have our, our games and that seems to have transformed um, into the current climate as well, which is brilliant. You know, there's nothing better than going along. And, and especially at this time of the year, mate, like obviously in August and September, it's a bit harder, uh, July to a degree. Um, but rugby's starting so early now. You know, you're getting rugby kicking off on the 17th of February this year. It is still summer. And for people to be able to go in their shorts and T-shirt, have the sun basking on them, have a cold beer and watch watch rugby, I think is brilliant. Yeah, mate, it's uh, fantastic. Oh, you think about that. I, I don't know, it must, uh, it must make your knees hurt thinking about it now. But, I mean, you say that, you know, so February 17, we start the rugby season. Um, the blokes who are playing in a black jersey probably won't finish their season until the end of November, uh, yet what, maybe a month off before you're back in a pre-season. It's like an 11-month-a-year job now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and I guess, you know, as much as we bemoan uh, the, the New Zealand Rugby Union and the system's that they have in place in terms of managing minutes for those players that do play at the highest level. So when you play the international rugby, you do go deep into the season. And and, and obviously the UK um, autumn series, which doesn't finish till till December, uh, you know, super rugby teams are actually back in training not long after that final game is played. They sort of start just before, before Christmas and then have a bit of a break and then back into it in January. So those players really get behind straight away because, you know, your body's at that stage of the season in December, your body is is only um, getting through the last couple of months of the season. You're not fine-tuning it. You're not putting it through the paces of getting fitter and stronger and quicker. Um, you're just maintaining, really, whereas, you know, the other um, professional rugby players in the country who have super rugby contracts are entering into fitness regimes and strength and conditioning and... Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a real con- con- uh, congested season because of that. But uh, you know that's that's the way that it's structured now, and that's why they try to look after the All Blacks in the early stages of Super Rugby and make sure that they're not getting too much volume, so that they're not hurting when it comes to 
um, October, November during the season. Now, you were in uh, Christchurch for the game on Friday night uh, between the Highlanders and the Crusaders, and I had a conversation with a few different people about uh, you know how this could potentially be a banana skin for the Crusaders, given how well they're tracking. But they'd had back-to-back games, you know, against the Chiefs that were big physical games they had to get up for. And, of course, there's the derby factor. There's the desperation of the Highlanders and things. Uh, I mean, I said all of that, Justin, and I thought the Highlanders would bring it, but I didn't think it would be as close as it was. What did you make of the match? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Look, the Highlanders tend to get up for this uh, Southern derby and, and good on them. And they've had some success in the past. Would have been massive motivation for the Crusaders, knowing that the Highlanders had been to their house and, and beaten them um, last last year. So I know that was a big part of their motivation, making sure that that didn't happen again. And they did talk about that. Uh, but obviously, you know, given the current situation that the Highlanders are in, you know, I expected them to, to turn up with some real grit uh, and, and determination um, because they, they do like getting one over the Crusaders. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I didn't see any form that gave me any indication that they would even get close, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I thought that the Crusaders would comfortably win that game, um, given that the, 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 the depth of their squad and the lack of depth in the Highlanders squad. Uh, you know, Like I said, I thought they would probably be in the game a bit, but they would pretty quickly get brushed aside. But it certainly wasn't that way. The way the game unfolded was really bizarre, to be perfectly honest. And... Um, it didn't lack for drama, but boy, it had some drama involved in it. Yeah, did it what? Did it what? I mean, uh, you, I know we've got Tony Brown coming up uh, on the show uh, soon, and you know, much like mm. uh, the Bryn Gatlin miss against the Blues, I, I guess that Mitch Hunt penalty miss from out in front's going to be talked about, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I spoke to him after the game um, on, on, on Sky TV as well, where we interviewed him, and I kind of did ask him that, that question, and uh, you know, I, I said to him, look, I, you're saying the same thing that you've been saying for six games now, which is we're just not executing when we need to and we're, and we're giving opportunities away. And I said, yeah, mate, but <laughs> you can't continue to stand here and tell us that because it's, it's not – obviously the players are not learning. Um, and, yeah, the, the Mitch Hunt penalty, look, that's, that's the goalkeeper's um, Achilles heel, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like you can be a hero one week and then you can be a villain. You know, that's, that's certainly a kick that Mitch Hunt – would usually uh, kick given the his accuracy with his eyes closed, but you know to tie a game up in, in, in Christchurch against the Crusaders with all the students were behind him where he was kicking to, they were giving him an absolute bloody barrage of I, I won't use the word encouragement. Um, and so <laughs> you know that, that that's pressure, isn't it? And then like you, you then you snap on a five minutes later where they've got the. The Crusaders under massive pressure and there's an opportunity. They've just been warned by the referee that any more penalties in that zone is a yellow card. So that's going to make them a little more standoffish because you certainly don't want to go down to 14 at that stage of the game. And uh, the Highlanders smell that opportunity. So they turn down a three to draw the game um, and get it level and go for touch and he kicks it dead. And, um, you know, again, that's just, you know, for a player of uh, his pedigree, he's the vice captain of the side. And, um, you know, you, that's when you need those players helping the younger players in the side that haven't been in that situation before. If you go across that back line, Ricardo, um, Aaron Smith aside, and include Falau Fakatava in the mix, you've got Fakatava. Then you've got Mitch Hunt, who started all six games so far this season for the Highlanders and is a very experienced super rugby player. 
But then you've got Scott Gregory, who hasn't played a great deal. Um, you've got Fatili, Fatili Paya, who hasn't played much super. You've got Darway on the wing, who's in his first year of super. Sam Gilbert, the same. And Connor Garden-Basham, who's really effectively in his first year after suffering an injury last year. So where, where are your where are your big game players, your, your big names, your experienced players, that when you get into that position where you've got the opposition on the rope, that grabbed the, the game by the scruff of the neck. They just haven't got that. And, um, you know, they've been in games the whole season. Like the last Crusaders game, uh, you know, they were in it up until the 70th minute and then they leaked two tries. So, you know, and it's the same things. You know, in that last Crusaders game, I remember they were in it and they were only one point behind and then they, they, had a, they got a line out um, inside the Crusaders half. So they were still on attack, only one point away, and they missed the line out. It went mm-hmm. over the back, I think. Someone scooped it up, and the next thing that we saw was Will Jordan scoring basically under the post. And the same thing the other night. They got the Crusaders. They still had three minutes to play, down to 14 men with the red card. Firstly, Mitch Hunt only kicked it about 15 metres, where he needed to kick it 40 and get it deep into the Crusaders' half. So that was an error. Uh, and then they they bumbled their line out back to Fakatava, and it was a mess, and he got turned over. Boom. And that's the game. That, now, that must be incredibly frustrating for Tony Brown to well, have to deal with that every week, the fact that they are giving games away. And again, a game where the Crusaders, which will be worrying for Scott Robertson, where they've been dominated by a team with more possession and putting them under pressure, just to give you a couple of quick stats. Um, inside the 22, the Highlanders were nine and a half minutes inside the Crusaders' 22 on attack, com- uh, compared to three minutes 45, I think, for the Crusaders. Uh, and the Crusaders had to make 130 tackles, basically, compared to 68 for the Highlanders. Wow. So who should be winning that bloody game? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, on that then, um, and, you know, you talked about the options that Tony Brown had. I mean, because, you know, Mitch Hunt's the guy that you want to be executing and want, and want to be dictating things. But if he's consistently getting things wrong, is it time to start Marty Banks? Well, there's the, there's the conundrum that, that I, I think I brought that brought that up. I didn't bring it up on air when I was commentating the game, but I did in the pregame. And I, I kind of alluded to the fact that the thing with Mitch Hunt is he, had, he has started all six games, but he doesn't really have somebody like um, Josh Iwane mm. snapping at his heels. Whereas if he does make a couple of substantial errors in the game, he knows that he's going to be on the pine because he's got a quality player uh, that 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 will want to want to have his jersey. Um, with the greatest respect, respect to Marty Banks, he, he's an outstanding rugby player, but he is at the he is at the tail end of his career, you know. And I think the Highlanders got him on board, basically to fulfil that vacant spot that Yuani left. They didn't find anybody else. Marty Banks will fulfil that and fulfil it well, but you know he's probably he's probably not the, the, the guy that, that that has the body to be starting week after week after week. So you can't really, Ricardo, have that disruption in the back line. Like, they're moving around their back line so much. Umanga Jensen obviously is a massive um, blow to them, him being injured. But they've got such a young back line that you don't want a different general from week to week to week. So unfortunately for Tony Brown is he doesn't have – a reliability, I don't think, in Marty Banks. And, and I love him, Marty Banks. He's a great player. He's a gutsy player. But I just don't think his body's capable of starting each week. So Mitch Hunt doesn't really have anybody else that's putting him under pressure to start. 
yeah, that's it, really, isn't it? I mean, I know that we kind of go. Well, yeah, sorry, and sorry to interrupt. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is good sides have good depth in their, in their squad, and and you know that you can't put a foot wrong because otherwise that that, that position um, that you, you think that you've got as, as a right will be taken away from you. Basically, what I'm saying is it doesn't allow complacency to come into your game. It doesn't allow the fact that when you turn up for the training week and it gets to Wednesday, and I always felt nervous. didn't matter how many test matches I played. I always felt nervous when you stood in that circle or you sat in that team room before you ran out and they named the team. But when you've got a guy sitting there pretty much knowing that he's going to be starting because there's not really anybody else that can slot into his position, I don't think that's healthy for that player. I think Mitch Hunt's a player that needs pressure on him to start and he hasn't got that at the moment and it's not helping his game No, and I mean it was something that I brought up with um, Goldie when we were doing the Super South show at the beginning of the season about uh, mm. given that not, uh, 10 is such a pivotal position the fact that the Highlanders only had two 10s and one of them was you know Marty Banks who as you mentioned with all due respect is towards the end, it felt like a massive yep. risk, I, I mean you you got to question recruitment, particularly back recruitment I think at the Highlanders because their back depth is pretty skinny it is, and you've and you've got a question um, where, where their where their development is from within. You know who who are they going to? That is the the, the next. Um, forgive me, I forget his first name. Um, the guy the guy Love from the Hurricanes. Oh, Ruben Love, yeah. Ruben Love, yeah, and and the boy that started the week after, um, um, Aiden Morgan. Who? Uh, yep, thank you. Um, you know. It's good. It's good that you're on the show, mate. <laughs> um, to be fair, I haven't commentated uh, the game with um, Morgan in it, but yeah, look, my point is, you know, your Fergus Burks. Where, where are where are these players um, that are coming through the system for the Highlanders? You know, like if Tony Brown was desperate, he goes righto, boom. I, I need to find uh, someone from within. I'm going to get him into the system. You know, has he got that guy there? I, mm. I don't know. I don't know if he's got any up-and-coming young 10s that he, he just has to do, do what we used to do back in the old days, you know, the good old school. You know what? Let's just put him out there and see how he goes. Yeah, because well... He... There's no one to buy out there. No, well, that isn't there? Because, I mean, you'll remember this, mate. I mean, you know, it used to be very much that uh, the Hawks Bay NPC team was the uh, Highlanders' feeder, uh, you know, for a long time. And you got guys like Lincoln McClutchy, who, you know, couldn't get a gig anywhere else and got picked up by Moana Pacifica. I mean, surely he would have been a sitter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, there, and you would think is a problem for their, for which is the first point you made, their recruitment. You know, why... Why, why has that gone so wrong? So, um, you know, you've got to really look at why they haven't looked at that position in terms of depth. It must have been a bit of a shock for them that Josh Iwane left, but they'd had, had some problems with him. Mm. So, you know, that, that must have been there, must have been something that they'd been thinking about. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely an area of concern for them. Yeah, very much so. This is uh, the uh, Bunnings Trade Rugby Run, Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. If you are looking for the uh, Cricket World Cup commentary, make sure you go to the SEN's Ed app and uh, there's a tab on there. You'll be able to listen to uh, the World Cup on there uh, from 3 o'clock. The World Cup commentary will be here on SENZ terrestrially as well. When we come back, Ken Laban's going to join us. We're going to talk some Moana Pacific versus the Blues.
It's 19 past one here on SENZ. It is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. At Bunnings Trade, helping business is our trade. Uh, just uh, getting uh, Ken Laban up, Marshy. But uh, before we do, um, I thought I'd ask you about uh, something else that I didn't get, which I thought was superb. Like, we've talked about the Highlanders and, and been critical of things, but that's got Gregory Troy that Aaron Smith set up in the first half. Mate, what a that he he dummied the long pass and threw the short pass, and he sold it so well that even the Sky Sport camera guy got fooled. Like he 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 sent the he sent the cameraman to the dairy as well, didn't he? Yeah, he certainly did. Yeah, no doubt about it. No, it was it was really good execution. And look, I think that's probably where you know you, you can see that those things can go right for them, and 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 that's when when they do look good and you know they've, they've shown the ability all season to be able to open things up but yeah with those those subtle little pieces of individual brilliance is exactly what you need in a game to break it open yeah and then and we definitely saw that and that was uh, it was good to see. It was a positive. From a Crusaders point of view, now I had Jason Ryan on the uh, on the show on Thursday. Uh, was filling in for Smithy, and we were talking about their depth at hooker. Obviously, with Brody McAllister being out, blown blown that calf, um, and obviously Cody Taylor put in that eighty minutes against the Chiefs, and you kind of you don't want to wear him out. Obviously, he'll have all black minutes, uh, sort of uh, hovering over his head as well from from um, on high. Um, and then you got Shiloh Klein, who's obviously third cab off the rank. Well, he's going to be suspended now. So, um, you know, mm. Kay and Cody's played a lot of footy over the last couple of weeks. I mean, where does that leave the Crusaders, do you think, uh, in terms of the hooker position? Yeah, well, they've, they've got good depth there, which you've alluded to. But, you know, obviously Cody Taylor had a, a late inclusion into Super. So I think he should be OK with minutes. Uh, and I think he's probably quite motivated this season to get out there and play as much rugby as he can. He had such a blockbusting start to last year. And then um, things kind of... Once they were weirdly enough, once he got into that all black environment, um, somehow they managed to play him out of form. <laughs> so that was a bit disappointing. <laughs> well, he he fair, wasn't the only one, mate, to be fair. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> it was a bit of a worry, wasn't it? Um, it was. But obviously, Shiloh Klein being missing uh, after his red card, I have to wait and see what um, sanctions he, he gets from, from that particular incident. But as you mentioned, Brody McAllister has been going very well. I, I think they're pretty well off, you know, like. Uh, I was really impressed with the player that they let go or they gave another opportunity the other night, which was Andrew uh, Makaleo. I thought uh, that was his first um, hit out and run for the Highlanders. He was supposed to play earlier in the season and got ruled out um, late late uh, in the in the week with an injury. And, and he's made a couple of appearances, I think, off the bench. But that was his first start. And what a good one to give him against his, his old mob and his former teammates and yeah, he 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 showed that he is a very good hooker. Uh, he he, if you watched his game in its entirety until he was substituted, he was sim- he's simply um, you know devastating with ball in hand, and he hit hard, and his lineout accuracy was good. Uh, so yeah, he's he's one that the Crusaders have have let move on um, to develop the Brody McAllister Shiloh lines underneath him. So they've taken a slight gamble there because he was such a good reliable player. Obviously, came from the catchment as well from Tasman, um, but. I think they they seem pretty happy that the stock that they've got there is good enough to cope with any problems and injuries they'll get. Yeah, which is which is good to see. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see who lines up next week. Oh, you'd imagine that uh, Cody Taylor is going to be uh, the man who's going to start next week's match. I guess it's, the question is, 
who are we going to see off the bench? Because it's going to be uh, like we had, was it Zach Sullivan uh, that, that came off the bench at lock this weekend? Um, who is going to be the guy that comes off the bench uh, or is on the bench as, as the hooking uh, cover against the Canes next weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. And I, I think that that's something that the Crusaders will have to look at in terms of where they want to get with their front row stocks and, and how they want to make sure that they, I guess, provide a decent amount of impact into the game. Like, I certainly don't think that where they've been really ruthless in the past, you know, they, they do tend to be pretty good at scoring just before and after half time. But I think quite conclusively, you know, I don't know whether the other teams have caught up or not. They're always a team that plays really well in the last quarter, mm. and that's where they get te- that, that's where they get teams um, on the hop because they've got such big engines and they've got players that just keep going and going, and they and they're usually very efficient in that sort of last quarter of an hour in particular. But this year, it's been the complete opposite. I think the only real sustained performance that we saw was against a slightly understrength Chiefs side last week, where. They look good for the game, for the entire game, uh, but the rest of the time they've been a little bit inept in that last quarter, and and that's when they have had impact off the bench, and including off the front row. And you know, I thought Fletcher Newell was outstanding the other night. So there's another guy that they've managed to get through the system. Um, but you know, it, it might be an, an opportunity for them to 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 you know say start Brody McAllister and and bring someone like Cody Taylor off the bench because. You know, when he's he's done that, when he was getting back into his his time um, off uh, situation of being slowly introduced, he was coming off the bench, and man, he was making he was making quite a difference with his experience. He was, I think, he was scoring tries quite regularly when he was coming off the bench in the last thirty minutes. And maybe that's something that they might consider doing, just to a keep him fresh, but but b just give them a, a different um, a bit of punch off the bench. In um, saying that, mate. Uh, I, I wouldn't like to be in the room when, when Scott Robinson goes up to Cody Taylor and goes, "Hey, mate, we might try and uh, we might, might try and do this. How, how do you feel about that?" Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'd be doing. Be, there wouldn't be any toys left in the cot. No. Be... <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be all on it. Well, I mean that, that and that is possibly a part of the problem. Sorry, Zach Gallagher, not Zach Sullivan, as the as the lock I was talking about. But with Shiloh being yes. suspended next week, um, I think McAllister, Jason, told me he's four to six weeks away with that calf. Um, oh, did he? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise that. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry, I mate. That he was, he was only a couple of weeks away. So, uh, and and due back because he's already been out a couple of weeks. So, um, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, well, that that, that will test their resourcefulness. Um, I, I wasn't aware that that was the stage um, that they were at, and obviously, Jace Ryan will know. So, uh, yeah, they're going to have to dig into the well a little bit, I guess. I don't know. Um, how deep that well is in terms of their front row stocks, but that that will pose them some issues. Yeah, man, there's a, there's a, somebody's going to get an opportunity. Uh, you would think it'll be interesting to see who that player is and 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 what they do uh, with that. Mm. Um, now. Uh, we should talk uh, Blues and Moana Pacifica. Of course, those two teams know each other pretty well now. Justin, yeah. two two games in what four or five days? Um, two very different looking fifteens, uh, you know, from one game to the to the next. But uh, uh, I thought Moana have held themselves pretty well, and I thought Dalton Papali summed it up quite well last night. I mean, you know, forty six sixteen looks like a hiding, but that game was closer than thirty points, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and you're right; they are they do know each other really well, and um, playing each other twice in a week uh, but obviously changes do help so the game takes on a different dynamic uh, but look I certainly don't think that that game yeah that it was a reflection of how tough it was in terms of the scoreboard result um, because 
Um, Moana Pacifica obviously did contribute a hell of a lot more than that. Uh, it seems to be that the Blues know that if they can get down into the 22 of Moana Pacifica, they they can uh, they can put them away with a lineout drive. Mm. Um, that, that that looked very evident throughout the entire game. Um, so, you know, that that's certainly something that Moana Pacifica are going to have to look at. Um, I think tactically they've they've got to realise that for them it's it's a massive uh, weakness and teams are going to keep exploiting it until they deal with it in a better way. Um, I'm not sure whether they've tactically why well, they haven't tactically tried something else, which is you know maybe maybe competing in that zone or possibly sacking the lineup, um, which you are able to do. You've just got to do it in, in in the correct manner under the law, but that immediately gets that player on the ground because the worst thing that they want is for the like, you know, for the likes um, of, of the hooker to get, uh, you know, like Kurt Eklund was the other night, to get into that position where everybody in front of him are on their feet, and he's controlling the ball because I think just about everybody watching and probably most most of the minor Pacifica players out on the field can f- feel the inevitable mm. bearing down on them, which is uh, <laughs> which is a, a driving more try, and and that's happened to them too many times so I think they've got to tactically Aaron Major fellow tier tier they've got to, they've got to come up with a, a way to stop teams doing that to them yeah yeah it's, uh, it's something that's uh, worked so well for the Blues you know Kurt Eklund 12 tries in 29 games for the Blues it's not a bad strike rate for a front rower is it um, Ken Laban joins us now uh, to, uh, to to talk some Moana Pacific and some Blues as well g'day Ken how are you doing yeah very good thanks uh, mate, we were just talking there about you know where the Blues got the better of Moana last night, and you know it was those those driving walls. Kurt Eklund with a hat trick, uh, twelve tries in twenty nine games he's now got, which is a better strike than rate than either of the starting wingers, Mark Talia or Caleb Clark, and uh, he got there one hundred and thirty five games faster than Kevin Mialamu as well to that try total. So uh, it says a lot, doesn't it, about how much the driving wall has come into the Blues play? Yes, exactly, mate. And with regard to Kurt as well, there's also the unseen influence of um, Clayton McMillan, who uh, promoted him you know, into the Bay of Plenty squad, and um, it was his, his performances during the, during the NPC that where he got recognised in that opportunity to play for, um, for Auckland. We've always known that he's been strong and athletic, and all he needed to be was in the right environment with decent players around him, and um, you know, I'm not surprised, you know, those of us that have been around NPC rugby for a few seasons, have seen how good he is prior to coming into um, to Super Rugby. So you know, I'm not surprised at all that he's going well. He's hit the ground running. And as I say, when you're as skillful and athletic as he is, um, you know, you add that to his prowess as a scrimmager and his ability to throw accurately at line-out time, and you've got somebody that's approaching the full package. So, you know, good on Kurt. He's done, uh, it's been a long apprenticeship for him, but um, he's really showing us all that he's, and deserves this, the opportunity he's getting in Super Rugby. Hey, Kenny, thanks for joining us, buddy. Good to hear your voice. Um, look, I wanted to ask you, you're, you're very proud um, Samoan and you love your uh, Pacifica rugby. What, what, what have you made of the introduction to Moana Pacifica into the comp? Have, has it been what you thought it would be for them? Well, firstly, Marshy, they've done better than I thought they would. Um, I don't. I don't want to be disrespectful, but uh, I didn't think that they were dealt a fair hand when it came to negotiating and access to players. So they were in effect left um, with players you could say unwanted by the five New Zealand-based franchises. 
So I thought that their wins and their success would probably come when they played the Australian side. The fact that they got their first wins, their first win, three wins into the competition, um, surprised me. The manner of that win as well um, was showing plenty of ticker, plenty of ticker in the end. Um, but I think they punched well above their weight. You know, for a team to come in with um, as inexperienced as that to compete at the level of, the, you know, bearing in mind this is a competition that's got, you know, more you know, Barrett, um, White Locks, you know, classy, experienced players at the top end um, of our game, I would have thought it would be a tough ask for them um, to put in credible performances. But, you know, other than getting touched up once or twice, um, they've given a very good account of themselves. Um, how, how that washes up Marshy in the greatest scheme of things, um, I don't know. How long is how long is their support base going to put up with um, minimum number of wins? Um, at what point are they going to challenge for a place in the playoffs? Um, and at what point are they going to replicate the success that we've seen from a number of other teams um, in the competition in recent years? So, you know, those questions still remain. Um, and obviously how things unfold in the next couple of years or so will depend on um, on how good they're going to go. So, so what would you do, Kenny? What, what, what would you do to, to, to maintain the balance of... Because I'm sure Pacifica Rugby wants to develop and make sure that a lot of that development isn't in the UK and Europe, which is where a lot of those players get poached to immediately. So how, how do you get that balance between the development, the success uh, and, and, and the competitiveness um, how would you allow that to happen um, so that, that they get a, a, an equal playing field to everyone else? Yes, well, firstly, mate, that's the dilemma, isn't it? So when you say um, we want Moana Pacifica to be successful, um, what is your definition of being successful? If you and I were running the, the team, mate, our definition of successful mm-hmm. is to win the competition, do it as soon as possible yep. and as often as possible. You're not going to do that without a ball, are you? So scrum time, line-out time, kick-off uh, time, you have to be able to compete in all the major areas against the top sides. And if you want to be the best team, you need the best players. So, you know, at the moment, there are barriers in place that prevent that um, from happening. You know, the classic cases, you know, um, All Blacks are sitting on the bench at Super Rugby. Is it the best for the game? Is it the best for that franchise? And is it the best for the development of those individual players to be sitting on the bench getting 10 minutes here and 15 minutes there, or might they be better to be released to Moana Pacifica, start, get decent game time, make Moana Pacifica more um, more competitive? And should Moana, Pas- <clears throat> should Moana Pacifica al- allow, should they be allowed to have access to the elite players in the game? Um, well, to so, me, so, that's what, so that's what right, fear but, is. So, like, do you reckon, like, in a like in a loan capacity at the start of the season and, and if say those players were needed back by the Crusaders or the Hurricanes then they could bring them back but in the in the short term those players could be loaned out to, to get to get time on the field well mate, nobody loaned the Melbourne Storm players and nobody loaned the Brisbane Broncos uh, when they came into the competition um, players as well they came in on an even playing field that was the same with the yeah. New Zealand Breakers in, um, in the basketball. So, you know, that's what I say, you know, when I said to you before, mate, well, what is your definition of success? Um, mm. Is your definition just to mix up with 
whatever players and do the best that you can and good luck and no one expects you to win. Well, what kind of culture is that um, yeah. in a competitive professional environment? You know, my view is that if you're going to let them be in the competition as they are now, give them a fair shake. Let them have access to Sam Whitelock. Let them have access to Sam Kane. Then you're talking then you're talking serious business, of course. You know, you start talking like that, people are going to get all wrinkled. And that's over. But that's my <laughs> definition of success. That's my definition of success, is access to the best players so you can compete hard. Yeah, I mean, that would uh, spread the, the talent as well and probably uh, bring on New Zealand talent as well as, you know, island talent, uh, Ken, you'd have to think. And on that, uh, just slightly adjacent conversation, but uh, talking to Jeff Wilson earlier in the season, we were talking about how successful Geordie Barrett had been at, as a 15 and how much he had cemented himself as the all-black 15. You know, he was head and shoulders above anybody else as a 15 last season. Uh, Jeff put a lot of that down to the fact that he wasn't getting chopped and changed and moved around. He was just getting to play 15 all all the time for the Canes and whoever else. Uh, today, of course, uh, they they run out against the Chiefs at about 3.30 at the Caketon, and he's, uh, he's going to be wearing the 12 on his back. What do you make of that from a Canes point of view? Yeah, well, when I first saw Jordy, he was a 12. In the 2016 Jock Hobbs uh, tournament and in the final, which was played in, um, um, in Gapo, he was the, he was the 12, um, Jordy, And he ended up at... Um, Fullback, as we all know, he's six foot five and just under 100 um, kilos and can kick the ball, can return the ball as a great defender. Um, he's tough and he's, and he's fantastic in the air. So he ticks all of the, all the right boxes to be a classic world um, class forward, but he's always wanted to play 12. Um, hasn't been able to get much game time there at all at provincial level. And um, interesting from the Canes talking about the number 12 jersey. Geordie is the fifth different number 12 they have started with in the first five weeks of the competition. Mm. Um, so it's been a position they haven't found any answers for, I would suggest, um, so far. And Geordie wants to play there, and he's going to get a crack today. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes in that position. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Marshy? Because uh, you know, if you were naming the All Blacks team tomorrow, um, he'd be a shoe in at 15. But if he wants to be 12, I don't think he makes the squad. Yeah. And and you you got to wonder whether or not he is a shoe because there's a lot of drums beating that you know Will Jordan's playing some pretty good rugby in that jersey as well. But I think they the All Blacks probably recognise that that is where they can utilise Geordie the, the the best. And I think it's kind of off the back of what Ken was saying that you know he ticks all the right boxes for them there, and they they can tick a better box by putting Jordan on the wing um, that than putting Geordie on the wing. So. I think that's what, what works for them. It's really interesting. Also, I'd like to get your take, given that that game is this afternoon, Ken, on... There's a lot. There's been a lot of chat about your old mate um, TJ Perianara, um and, and his return into New Zealand rugby and into the All Blacks last year. Um, and he, he got his first start last weekend. Um, how, how do you see his season unfolding? Do you still think he's got the potential to get back to his career best form and, and you know, challenging Aaron Smith with the All Blacks? Well, I hope so. Um, I saw a lot of his game. Well, I commentated a few of his games out of Japan um, last year, and I know it's a lesser environment uh, for him, but with that, with that extra freedom um, to be able to, to do things, we really saw consistently from him the, um, the full array of skills at number nine. We haven't yet um, seen that coming back into the more intense environment here in, uh, in New Zealand and Super Rugby, but um, I hope today's an important game for him 
uh, Marshy, as you quite rightly point out. Um, there have been some that um, have been losing favour a little bit um, with him. But, you know, there's no question that that one-two combination of Aaron Smith and TJ Pettinata when they're on form um, is world-class. Yep, totally agree. What, what have you made of the, the competition? You know, we're six rounds in uh, at this stage um, and obviously there's a pretty healthy ladder developing. You know, the Australia, there was a pretty good clash last night. The Reds and the Brumbies battling it out. More controversy in that game, which seems to be quite regular, but Obviously, it's reasonably tight and congested at the top. Uh, the Chiefs, mate, they've come out of the out of the gate like a thunderbolt. Um, who's impressed you, like individually and, and um, collectively as a team so far in this comp? Yeah, well, well, firstly to answer your question about the comp, my genuine answer, mate, is I don't know and I'm not sure. And the reason I make that observation is I'm tending now to look at Super Rugby in the context of what happened on the end-of-season tour last year. And uh, what Ireland and France did um, to the All Blacks, and bearing in mind that Super Rugby teams have won eight of the nine World Cups, and we've always known that we've been able to outlast them in the last 20 minutes of um, yep. of the tests, and that our Super Rugby competition was the big advantage um, for us, and that because it was faster and, um, and more intense, we were able to run away from the Northern Hemisphere sides. What we've seen in the last couple of seasons... Is, um, is, you know, I guess the empire striking back in some ways. So I tend to look at the opening six or seven rounds of Super Rugby and I'm saying to myself, is this the quality of rugby that's going to get us back against Ireland and get us back against France and put them in their place? And I'm not sure I know the answer um, to that, you know. And as you know, having watched and commentated the games uh, closely, the way that those Northern Hemisphere big boys carry the ball, the way they try to keep the ball alive in traffic, um, how damaging mm. they are physically, and then I, you know, I can reflect all the time about, you know, Coles' very candid interview um, post that tour about um, how we got out muscled and we need to harden up and um, do some damage, blah blah blah. I'm not sure that I'm seeing that in this um, in the Super Rugby uh, competition, and I'm not sure if the way that we are playing is going to allow us to get that dominance we back that we're used to seeing. Ken, thanks Sorry, for... it's a long-winded answer. <laughs> no, no, you're good, mate. You're good. It's a good answer, though. It's a great answer. It's <laughs> a great answer, mate. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, Ken, thanks very much for coming on and giving us some time today. Really appreciate it. I, I know you'll be uh, heading along to the Cape Tin to watch your Canes play uh, the Chiefs this afternoon, mate, so enjoy that, and we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Mate, they're my Canes if they win. I'm calling it. Thanks for the yeah. pleasure. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers. Uh, Ken Laban with us here on uh, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Remember, you can be part of the program as well. Double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine. Send in your questions or comments for Marshy to answer. Yeah, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Just an update from the uh, World Cup final. I can tell you the Aussies are 53 without loss uh, at the end of the 13th over. Um, so they're not going at a great rate, uh, but they haven't lost any wickets. Uh, apparently it's a bit of a road out there. We will have commentary back for you from 3 o'clock here on SENZ. Uh, Marshy, double eight double three is our temper bedpost text machine, and Ken has texted through. He's asked this question. Hey guys, is Stephen Petafeta our top number 10 now with Bowden not playing and Richie continuing his form from the end of year tour? 
Marshy's talking, but we can't hear him. I'm not sure what's going on. We might have a, a, a slight technical issue there. Well, let's let's get into that. But thanks for your text, Ken. We'll get Marshy's uh, response to that uh, in a moment because uh, I think it's a great question. And you're right that Richie Mwanga's form maybe hasn't been what it was, say, this time last year or even, you know, from the first Bledisloe from last year. And obviously Bowden Barrett uh, is still having issues with uh, that head knock. He's not completely right. Um, so Stephen Petafetta probably... Is he Marshy? Is he the form number ten in the in the in the New Zealand teams in the Blues com, uh, in the uh, Super Rugby comp? Well, hopefully you can hear me, Ricardo. I can um, now. You back? Yep, beautiful. Uh, and it's a good question. Look, I, I certainly think that he will be in the the eye line of the All Black selectors simply because of how well he's playing. Uh, and at the moment, you would have to say yes, he he is one of the form players um, in that position in Super Rugby at the moment. I, yeah. When you look across the board, I think Bryn Gatlin's playing pretty good rugby as well. Um, uh, I, I think Richie Moonga is still getting there. There, you know, and obviously Bowden Bowden's had his problems with his head concussions. So you, you do then look at the the next tier, and Josh Iwani, um is getting an opportunity this afternoon, which is good to see. You know, it would be nice to see whether or not he can slot into that that Chiefs machine that's been performing so well. And like I said, Gatlin's been stringing some good games together. Um, the good thing about Stephen Pietrofetta is is the fact that what they also look for in the modern day is is that versatility and the fact that he can seamlessly slot between the two positions, which is not, which is not easy to do. Mm. Uh, you know, he 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 looks equally at comfortable at fifteen and ten is something that they really like having in the in, in the mix when you've got that balance to be able to do that. So, in answer to the question, I think you said it was from Ken. Absolutely, he he has to be featuring, and he quite conf, uh, quite possibly is the form ten in the comp at the moment. Yep, Ken Oath, as they say. Uh, well done, Ken. Uh, <laughs> a nice question. This is the uh, Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball, with you. We'll be back with more of your questions next. Yes, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you after uh, two o'clock. Glenn Jackson, uh, of course, a former referee, former Chiefs uh, first five, and uh, now the Drawer assistant coach is going to join us. Uh, we're also going to talk to Tony Brown as well at a two o'clock, Marshy, um, and uh, be interesting to see uh, where Tony's at because obviously he's, he, he won't be a, a happy man, I wouldn't imagine, but he'll also have you know sort of he'll be thinking forward to Japan as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to having a chat with Brownie. Obviously, he got he's got a lot going on uh, in his coaching um, career, well, coaching pedigree at the moment. Um, you know, with what he's dealing with at the Highlanders, he's got Japan as well. So um, it'll be good to tap into what he's thinking the season's sort of going to play out like. Uh, I was having a bit of a smile to myself when you were introducing the fact that we're going to talk to Jacko at two thirty because I've kind of got my fingers crossed. I'm not holding my breath about it, but. I think he was back for a wedding last night, eh? So, ooh, uh, ooh. <laughs> uh, you know what they can, you know what they can go like. So, um, hopefully, he's going to pick his phone up. I know what I'm like the day after a wedding, mate. I'm usually, I'm usually too hung or I'm back on it. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's hope we get him on at 2.30. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Yeah, it's going to be uh, another uh, good hour here on the Bunnings at Rugby 
the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run uh, at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. A reminder that from 3 o'clock we'll have the uh, World Cup uh, commentary live for you back on SENZ. You can go and listen to it on the app at the moment if you like. The Aussies 69 without loss in the 16th over as things stand. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. It's the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run here with Ricardo Paul, Justin Marshall with you through till three o'clock. And uh, joining us now is Highlanders coach Tony Brown. G'day, Brownie. How you doing? Good afternoon, men. I'm very well. Good, 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 mate. I mean, I, I, I must. Uh, it must be tough for you at the moment. Obviously, you did everything but win that game last night, mate. But you must be incredibly proud of the performance <laughs> and pleased with what you saw from your team out there. I'm always, pl- always proud of the effort the boys have been putting in. Um, you know, but around the sort of pure performance, we're just not quite getting it right. Um, I felt as though we produced, um, you know, an effort that should have hit us up by you know, a number of points. Yeah, what do you put that down to? I mean, I know that Mitch obviously had that penalty out front to tie things up, um, and you and you had plenty of position in the in the opposition twenty two. Is it just experience in executing under pressure? Yeah, probably a little bit of experience, but um, you know, mostly just probably too desperate. Um, not, not, I guess, taking our time and, and attacking together. Probably getting a little bit of individual um, when we get, you know, get close to the line or have the opposition under pressure. I thought it was um, there was there was some great play, obviously, you know, leading up to the, your two scores, particularly as I said to Marshy earlier. You know, the, uh, Aaron Smith, the, the way he uh, he dummied the long pass out to the wing and then just shuffled it short to Scott Gregory to go over. Mate, I mean, he even sent the Sky cameraman to the dairy with that one. It was it was a beautiful piece of play. Yeah, it was, but it was Mitch Hunt that uh, that ball, so oh. um, he didn't have he didn't have uh, <laughs> that bad a game about that try. No, he, he. I mean, obviously, people are going to talk about that uh, that kick that could have levelled things up at seventeen all. What what did you say to him post match around that? Um, you know, look, he's a massive part of our team. Um, he's our vice captain. Um, obviously, when we have to take Aaron Smith off, he he takes over as our captain. So, um, you know, I'm not going to fault his desire to win and. Um, how much he wants it because, you know, he, he potentially just wants it too much and it's sort of showing in his play a little bit and trying to do things um, by himself too much, um, which is affecting affecting just his um, individual um, performance, really. So after the game, it was we just got to try and release some of the um, stress that he plays with and basically just get him playing the rugby that he can play and, you know, if he performs well, then we're going to win games of rugby. And, and you know, if you if your first five is not executing well, then it's hard to win games of rugby. Hey, Brownie, uh, thanks for joining us, mate. Good to see that you've dragged yourself away from whatever social event you usually have on a Sunday. Could be boating, could be golfing, probably hammering someone at squash, could be boozing. So, um, <laughs> feel very privileged to have you on the phone. To be perfectly honest, but um, no, well, hey, I wanted to ask yeah, you about. Well, yeah. Go on. Oh, sorry. I've 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 done all those things yesterday, so I'm I'm at work at the moment, so I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> good to hear. Um, I wanted to ask you about the the comp in general. Like, obviously, you go through everything in December, January to a degree, and you prepare for 
what you feel, what, what you think is going to be the competition, and then bang, you get hit with the, all of this COVID stuff. The competition gets sliced in half. Um, all of a sudden, it's no longer Trans Tasman. You have to deal with playing these bloody New Zealand teams each week, um, and the draws yeah. gets tipped on his head. Then you get COVID in the camp. Like I wouldn't imagine there's too many more challenging environments to coach in, is there? No, it's it's definitely challenging. Um, it's you know it's changing all the time, and which you know for any um, high performance environment, changes you know sometimes the worst thing possible. So just trying to keep a consistent um, performance week, consistent preparation is really hard at the moment. Um, and I actually think it's what's happened so far. It's great that we're um, playing footy again, and at the moment it's great that the crowds can come back, but. Like the performances, I believe, over the last sort of couple of months haven't been great from from any team, especially any New Zealand team anyway, so really inconsistent. Um, You know, the footy hasn't been um, that great to watch. Um, So I think there's still a massive amount of improvement that hopefully we can can get as New, New Zealand franchises can, you know, improve massively around their game before we hit the Aussie Aussie teams. Take taking one eye, I guess, off that 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 what is right in front of you at the moment, which is Super Rugby. Do you do you tend to look at other rugby around the world? Do you you tune into a bit of their Six Nations? If you did, what, what did you make of that as a competition this year? Yeah, actually, um, really enjoyed the Six Nations. It was pretty competitive um, right across all the teams. Obviously, bar Italy until the end. There, um, you know, that's. It's pretty physical footy, and um, little things, little things, moments in games are winning test matches over in the Six Nations, and um, you know, key players are standing out and and winning games of rugby for their teams. So it's you know it's exciting to watch. I think you know definitely Ireland and France are playing a style of game that's just you know a little bit ahead of everyone else. Um, yeah. And you know it's good to see see what that looks like. Um, and just to see the sort of key players, how much influence they have on the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed the Six Nations and a little bit of um, the European competitions as well. Sort of follow that a little bit um, just to see if there's any trends in the game that we can add to our, our game here. What about uh, Japan, mate? How's that looking in terms of the games that you've got secured for the rest of the year uh, you've got you've got um, John Mitchell on board as well um, do you yeah. you obviously feed back into that I know you'll have your eye on the ball at the moment with what you're doing with the Highlanders but um, you know it's a pretty exciting time for Japanese rugby isn't it particularly the way that you guys have managed to get them to uh, you know a new world ranking the, the, the 2019 Rugby World Cup really set um, set rugby alight in that country. Um, it must be quite exciting to be involved with that side at the moment. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, after the World Cup, you know, it's basically when we got home from that where COVID hit and, you know, Japan had a really exciting um, sort of um, schedule lined up post-World Cup, but it was all um, sort of turned on its head and didn't go ahead um, in 2020. So, and we've sort of got a bit of footy last year in 221, but next year's, I mean, so this year it's going to be the 22 is going to be massive for us. We play two tests against um, France and Japan, so they're going to be huge games. And 
wow. you know, pretty exciting mm-hmm. to, to have full stadiums. Um, and then we go over to Europe, obviously, and we play England and France again. Um, and the All Blacks sort of stop over on their way way to the UK and, and play us in Tokyo as well. So got some massive games and massive challenges, but really exciting for Japan rugby to be sort of playing these sorts of teams. Wow, that, that is an incredible calendar that you've got. That must be hugely exciting. Uh, how, how do you feel that you are placed um, to, to compete? You know, you're basically playing the top three or four teams in the, in the world at the moment. England might be just outside of that, obviously. But in general, that's a huge ask for what you got. Well, you were, Japan was considered a second-tier nation. I, I don't believe that anymore, and, and rightly so. I, I'd imagine neither do you. But do you have the depth and resources to be able to cope with that calibre of opposition regularly? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, having the Samoa sort of kicked out of Super Rugby's um, made it really difficult to get, you know, our top players um, consistent um, competition against, you know, the best players in the world. That even though you know the Samoans took a bit of a beating at times, um, but it allowed the players to really understand what it was about and um, being able to prepare and play consistently week after week. And um, you know, not having that that team and that competition means that we're going to have to, we have to prepare our guys through the top league in Japan and the, just the standard of rugby is is just nowhere near sort of super rugby or international rugby. Um, there's lots of good players, but the physicality is just, you know, non-existent really in, in that comp. Um, the game's played fast, it's loose, and, you know, the breakdowns are um, pretty, pretty much non-existent, but whereas in test rugby it's not really like that and, Physicality has to be through the roof for um, the Japanese players to be able to handle a, a tier one nation like France and England. Uh, Brownie, so I guess oh, answering your question, I'm a bit worried. We're obviously a bit worried. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brownie Marshy and I were talking about um, you know the depth in rugby here now, particularly with Moana uh, around and, you know, looking at like yourselves and things and thinking, well, you know, they could do maybe with an extra player or two here or there. Uh, is Japan somewhere you've looked at recruiting for the Highlanders at all? Uh, we'd love to be able to um, bring some guys to Super Rugby, but um, the company rugby over there is the competitions at the same time, whereas previously it's always sort of been from September to end of January, so the players could cross over and play a bit of super um, but now the companies, you know, they rule that's where the majority of the money that the players get comes from um, and it's obviously um, a lot higher than they'd get if they came to a, um, you know, Highlanders for instance so even though Himeno came last year it was a bit of a gap year, he wanted to, the challenge but, you know, ultimately Toyota's his club and that's where he, you know, he gets paid and he's pretty well paid too Um so being able to compete with that and getting them here is, you know, very difficult. Where's, what's Jamie up to at the moment, mate? Is he floating around New Zealand or is he currently in Japan? Um, and has he got on top of breaking hey. computers? or is, is, is... <laughs> <laughs> no, Just the rumour I heard. Good for, one a, good for one a year, old Jake. So um, <laughs> the analysis team... The analysis team get pretty frustrated when you know the computer shows up with either a broken screen or you know coffee through the <laughs> um, keyboard. Um, 
or he or he demos his iPad in the uh, business class on on flights um, you know, <laughs> to and from Japan. Um, but no, he's just come back from Japan and um, obviously um, got a big job around. We're trying to um, track all of our players at the moment and um, we're trying to find new talent because we've got quite a um team from the last World Cup. So getting new blood in there is going to be huge for us. And so we're, we're tracking all those players and he's sort of meeting um, a lot of our senior players and things like that. Um, then he'll head, he's back at the moment, but he'll head back, he'll head back over and um, leading into the games against France. It must be, just give the listeners out there a bit of an idea of your calendar year because you obviously spend a bit of time in Dunedin doing the super and then you must, do you go and live in Japan for the second half of the year or do you commute backwards and forwards and um, when you fulfil that role? And, and does the family go with you or they stay behind? Is, uh, what's sort of the structure for you during a, during a year that you've got coming up? Yeah, the majority of my time is spent in Dunedin with um, the Highlanders. Um, and then when we're preparing to play a test, test matches in um, June and July, I'll go up for that block, um, play those test matches and then come back home, um, have a bit of a break and then we'll head back up um, in September. We do a September, is a, sort of end of September and we, we sort of go through to the end of November where we prepare our team, have a couple of camps play a couple of games in Japan and then head over to the UK and, and play and then, then I'm back home again. So um, pretty pretty lucky really to be able to do both jobs. Um, very fortunate that Highlanders let me go and Japan lets me sort of stay and coach the Highlanders. So it's a good relationship at the moment, but it'll be my last year that I'm allowed to do it um, because leading into the World Cup will be full-time um, with Japan. And you still managed to... Squeeze in about six games of squash a week, don't you? Yeah, I'm um, probably about running about four games, I reckon, three to four games a week. Um, so keep keep me. Uh, Have you reached A grade yet? And... No, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't played a lot of. Um, I haven't played a lot of uh, games, competition games, or tournaments in the last sort of year or so. So just about, I'm probably about seventy points off. I think a couple. Of about three or four uh, more wins. I know we're on the Bunnings rugby run, but um, <laughs> mate, how good's uh, how good's Paul Cole been going? Holy moly! If everybody oh. up there isn't aware, Paul Cole's obviously a top-ranked squash player, but he's also managed to get himself to number one in the world at the moment. It's an incredible performance, isn't it? Oh, unbelievable! The amount of um, games that he's made in his um, squash. You know, for someone who competes at such a high level, the, the amount of, improve, of improvement he's had in the last 12 months has been remarkable. His squash game is, you know, it's obviously the best in the world now and just his ability to um, get around the court and just wear people down is, is huge and, you know, it's great to watch. Well, Brownie, hey, look, I know you wear your heart on your sleeve, mate. We, we're really, I think... A lot of people out there gunning for you to get that first win um, and then continue to get good results. Thanks for joining us on a Sunday, mate. I know you're working deep on your tan last week and um, we didn't get you on the show and you said you're only one, so I <laughs> appreciate you coming on and good luck for next weekend. Yeah, mate, cheers. And, you know, we're, we're working hard and we'll get it, get it sorted and, you know, we'll, we'll play some good rugby before the comp's out.
Yeah, indeed. We'll look forward to look forward to seeing that uh, brownie, and uh, I think we'll be, we'll all be cheering you on to hopefully uh, see you get a win in the next round, mate. And uh, just before you go, is there any truth to the rumor that Paul Cole's only world number one because he hasn't played Tony Brown yet? Is that the is that the word? <laughs> well, no, it's true he hasn't played me, but I don't think I'll. I was lucky to get a point. I'd say yeah. um, he doesn't uh, he doesn't miss many shots and. You know, the ball doesn't bounce twice on the court for him very often. No, it doesn't, mate. It doesn't. Go well, Brownie. Thanks again for your time. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Catch up. Cheers. Uh, it's 16 past two on SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run, and uh, he's a good yarn, isn't he, Marshy? He's great. Yep, some, some, yep, certainly is. Some great insight into, yeah, into yeah. how his year works with Japan and the Highlanders. It is, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, like having to b- balance that out is not easy, uh, but... The thing about Brownie is um, he just loves coaching and he, he's a very determined man. I played rugby with Brownie and obviously, you know, he was equally that way when he was a player as well. Just never left anything out there on the field. It, it'll be hurting him at the moment, the results the Highlanders are getting. Um, as he said, he's proud hmm. because you can see the effort that's going in. Yeah, um, He just needs to get that effort combined with some, you know, some patience and some execution issues that are not quite right at the moment and nailing a few things down and it will be sooner rather than later when they get that first one. It will indeed. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Glenn Jackson still to come up next though is something that Marshy and I want to talk about and that is the fact that rugby is a contact sport and not every collision has to end in a card. We'll do that next here on SCNZ. 2.21 here on the SENZ Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trader. Jenny from Auckland has texted through on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bed Post text machine asking about the uh, World Cup final. Are we covering it? Here we are on the app, Jenny. Um, you can tune in there or from three o'clock. We'll have it live uh, on the radio as well. Marshy, uh, we should talk though about uh, rugby and something that we've seen the last couple of weeks. Um, that has frustrated me as a fan, uh, as someone that's watched a lot of rugby for a lot of years, uh, and that is any time there is a collision of bodies, it, the, the, the officials feel like they have to show somebody a card, uh, regardless of if there's any fault in it. I mean, we saw it last night in the Moana Pacific Blues game with Caleb Clark getting a red when he was just jumping in the air to try and charge down a kick, and he ends up collecting the guy who's kicked the ball and has run onto it. We saw it last week in the Force Brumbies game, where I think it was Tom Banks knocked himself out and had to be carried off the field on a stretcher, but he was red carded, uh, even though it was just a collision of bodies. I mean, this is getting ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, look, I, I certainly know why that they are looking at it. So it happened also in the – there was a red and a yellow in the game last night between the Brumbies and the Reds. Um, but it's a directive coming out of World Rugby, which is that they've deemed head-on-head contact to, to be uh, dangerous, which obviously it is. There's no doubt about that. It's two players going at velocity, and, and when they make that collision and it's head-on-head, there's, there's usually going to be some form of a, an injury or a bad outcome. Uh, <clears throat> so that's where the directives come from, which the referees are working under. Now, look, the, the umbrage that I take with it is what the referees are not doing in a lot of instances is just using common sense because what they are doing is they are looking at every single angle, getting it super slowed down and seeing head on head. Now, what they have the ability to do is use mitigating factors. And mitigating factors have to be um, that 
there was nowhere for the player to go. And like you mentioned, when you introduced this particular topic, um, there is going, there are going to be collisions in rugby, and those collisions are sometimes going to be uh, unavoidable. And we are seeing instances of that happening now. You know, the classic example was Caleb Clark last night, where he was red carded when when he was in the air and could go nowhere. Mm. And all he did was leave his feet to try and charge the ball down. Uh, and he was determined. He was he was basically told that the red card was because he intentionally made contact with a, a guy's head. Now, like, it's no way that he intentionally meant to do that. And what the referees are, are not doing is, is since they, they haven't played the game, they don't understand that accidents on the rugby field can happen, that you can slightly get your timing off. There's no intent. There was no intent for Caleb Clark to be up in the air and for his hip or thigh to have gone in and collided with the minor Pacifica player. It was simply unavoidable. The minute that he was in the air, the circumstances completely changed out of his control. But yet they still found a way to give him a red card. And there's no way that he could do anything more than what he did. And it was quite obvious to anyone who's played the game that he was trying to charge it down. He was in the air. Once he was in the air, there's nothing he could do. The fact that the player then kept running and collided with him was no fault of his. And and equally, the game um, that you referred to where it was Banks um, coming across on the, the, the force ringer, he was force winger. He was just heading straight for the corner flag, expecting to make a try-saving ta- tackle in the corner to try and stop a try. And the guy stepped on him at the last minute. Ironically, he got knocked out because yep. he wasn't expecting that. When the guy stepped, he was underneath him and um, he hit Banks in the head uh, and they gave Banks a red card. And he was the one that had to leave the field with concussion problems. Now, there's nothing he could do in that split second about it, but the referee still deemed it to be a red card. Um, now, finally, if you want to look at an example of where there is a red card, it was Shiloh Klein. Yeah. Where he had a player running to, towards him in contact. He dropped his arm down to his, down to, uh, below his hip. He led with the shoulder. He didn't look to rat. He got it wrong and he collected the guy in the head. That is somebody that has got his timing wrong and it has got intent in it. The other circumstances certainly don't. And we are spoiling games and the referees are spoiling games because they are not using the mitigation factor in the right way. They're using the head contact as red card, your fault, you meant to do it. Yeah. And I don't think those players are intending, especially when they're knocking themselves out, exactly. <laughs> to, to, to hurt somebody. Yeah, no, yeah, I couldn't have summed it up any better, uh, Marshall. You keen to get your thoughts on that? The Temper Bed Post text machine is double eight double three. Send your thoughts through. Hopefully, uh, if that wedding wasn't too big, uh, we'll have Glenn Jackson on the phone with us shortly. And of course, uh, famous for being on the whistle as as much as he is on the ball. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on that next here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. It's 29 away from three here on the Bunnings Rugby Run, uh, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Just the Marshall Ricardo ball with you. Joining us now is Glenn Jackson as well, the assistant coach of the Drua, former Chiefs 10 and former whistleblower as well. Uh, G'day, Jacko. How was the wedding yesterday? Yeah, it was good. Thanks, mate. Just sitting at Auckland Airport here, just uh, waiting to get home. So it was a quick visit, but uh, yeah, good to catch up with the wedding with the family. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Uh, now, uh, the, the your drawer, of course. Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that we talked to you, and then and then the next game you won. So obviously, uh, that suggests that you should just talk to us every week. 
Yeah, well, it's a shame we didn't talk to you uh, last week because uh, we obviously didn't turn up uh, this weekend. So it was a uh, yeah, it was a shame. It was halfway through our season. We sort of talked about it. That it was you know going to be a bit of a crunch sort of moment with um, a lot of these boys straight off the island to try and put a performance together against a pretty good Waratahs team. And um, unfortunately, we didn't uh, didn't turn up to the races for this game. So it was a bit of a shame. Yeah, it was a pity for you guys. I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, based off what your first game of the season was, was was against the Waratahs, and you probably got a bit of a touch-up in there, and I think we might have talked about that as well. So there was certainly uh, something to prove, and I mean, I know they've proved it against other teams, but definitely something to approve against the Waratahs. Do you think that you, your boys went better uh, in, in a lot of ways against the Tars? I mean, the Tars have, have grown in strength as well since that first round. Yeah, look, well, yeah, I definitely think we're improving. Um, yeah, well, I think we had eight turnovers in the first half and a red card, so it was sort of makes it a little bit tough to win games of footy when you're just giving a team like the Waratahs that much possession. So um, we we actually did a lot better, I think, in our set piece, and it was just the execution and sort of the first to second uh, up uh, phases of either losing it or, or um, not looking after it at the breakdown. So. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, where the boys are, I, you know, I definitely think there's a, a lot of improvement happening every week. Uh, still fabulous to have, you know, obviously two new teams in the competition, and and with our boys, you know, as I said to you last time, I think 70% straight off the island. Um, it's it's a great learning curve, and it's only going to be better for for the seasons going forward, and also for the rest of our games uh, coming up as well. Hey, Jacko, thanks for uh, joining us after a wedding. To be perfectly honest, I think it's a miracle. But anyway, you must have obviously had to get home, so. <laughs> Things things have changed. Jesus, don't tell me you're growing up, are you? Surely not. Oh, my Marshy, if I uh, if I didn't have to get back uh, to training tomorrow, it would have been all over. So it's a uh, it's a shame. <laughs> so maybe I'll, I'll put that down to growing up. Good man, good man. Hey, look, I wanted to uh, ask you about like thinking about the future. So obviously you're in this Trans Tasman battle at the moment, but. Now, you've also got the opportunity now to, to mingle and mix in with the New Zealand teams, which you'll know a hell of a lot more about, um, and, and taking them on when the Trans-Tasman competition starts up, and plus playing games in Fiji. In fact, I think it's your first game against the Highlanders uh, in Fiji. So how, how do you get the balance there? Will you, will you change your base from Australia to Fiji and then go to your games from there? Yeah, it's been a bit of a shambles at the moment, Marshy, just with, with uh, everything that's going on with us. We're uh, based uh, in a place called Lennox Head, which is quite close to Lismore. So we, we were disrupted this week um, badly with the floods. Uh, so mm-hmm. our, our accommodation is government uh, run and owned and sewerage problems because of flooding and everything. So we're actually, we had to, had to, had to do a quick escape um, on uh, Wednesday and just go straight to the Gold Coast. So we're we're now based at the Goldie for uh, for the next two weeks, and then um, yeah, we've got that Super Round, which will be great against the Blues down in Melbourne, and then um, then we've got that game in Fiji. So we'll we'll have two weeks uh, in Fiji, and then we've got the Hurricanes down in Wellington. So we'll sort of it's worked out. Obviously, not ideal that we've had to leave where we're, we're our training base, but uh, being on the Goldie's not so bad. And then yeah, like you said, with the the Trans Tasman stuff ha- happening now, it's um, the timing obviously is not ideal, but it's. Um, it's, it's worked out pretty well for us so far. How do you, how do you prepare your side for that? Because I look, I don't know. This is just a, a, a guesstimate. But when you look at the dominance the New Zealand teams have had over Australia internationally in recent years, and also in Super Rugby, and I, I can't remember how many games there had been before a, a, an actually Australian side actually finally did beat a New Zealand side. I think that was last year at some stage, but there'd been an incredible streak from the New Zealand sides. In my mind, mate, that's physicality. So 
I guess there's got to be an adaption. Like, has your squad got the depth and the physicality to, you know, be able to compete against these New Zealand sides? Well, I'll tell you in about eight weeks, Marshy, and uh, we can have a beer over that and see how it went. But uh, I think, yeah, it's a great question in terms of we're, we're trying to have a fine balance now of uh, a lot of guys have sort of been six, seven games on the bounce. Um, you know, we haven't probably got the... Well, we certainly haven't got the depth of ex- experience of compared to the New Zealand team, so it will really test us. Uh, we've got a, quite a few guys coming back from injury, which is ideal timing. Um, mm. But again... You know, these, these lads have just come, you know, mate, all off the island. So it's, it's a real learning curve in terms of stepping up to to what Super Rugby brings. Um, and as, as you said, the uh, New Zealand teams have obviously had a lot of dominance over the Australian teams. So it's hard to know where that sits at the moment. I think uh, there's a couple of Aussie teams playing really, really well. And again, we won't know until they, they come against the New Zealand teams. So um, I think in terms of what Australia, uh, New Zealand teams bring will probably... Um, will be good for our team. Uh, you know, it's probably a lot quicker and, and um, everyone's trying to play a bit more, so that probably comes into our favour a little bit. But, um, yeah, we've talked about it every week. If we start like uh, like we have pretty much every game, um, New Zealand mm. teams will punish us. I know that for sure. So um, it's, it's all about how we start in, in, in these competitions, games. Uh, just tipping uh, in a different direction, as as you very well know, Jacko, I was one of the greatest referees to have ever played the game. Um, so it's not it's not uh, it would be very unlike me and very remiss of me not to have a crack at what's going on at the moment um, in terms of refereeing with this uh, red card head collision situation. Um, look, just to give you a, a slight little bit of background of where I'm coming from, I feel that there's. There's some unnecessary red cards being dished out to players who are unintentionally making head contact with another player. Uh, um, what, what's been your view on this from your perspective of what you've seen so far and how they're refereeing it? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, mate. And you know, a couple of years ago, we could all see this was probably coming to this sort of place. Yeah, I think some people were... Some, a lot of players have changed their technique and getting getting their technique a lot better in terms of the tackling, but the accidental stuff is always the one that you just you, you head scratching. And I know putting my referee hat on when I was doing it, you've got to have a little bit of sympathy around you know what's going on around some people just getting it. There's no there's no intention at all to hurt someone, um, but people are hurt, mm. getting hurt, you know. So um, in terms of the referees, look, you know, unfortunately they're probably just doing what what they're meant to do in terms of the letter of the law where trying to make this game safer, but, um, you know, it's it's a tough one, mate. You're right. It's um, Certainly, there's got to be something to look at, or I would believe that if it's absolutely no intention of, of hurting someone by tackling them and just getting it all completely wrong, you've got to have some sort of sympathy. I, the one great, obviously, is uh, 20 minutes versus, um, you know, what we looked at up north, the Six Nations and that. If, you know, some of those happen, and they're gone for the whole game. So, you know... Those red cards aren't as aren't as punishable as um, as they once were. So at least the game's not completely ruined. And obviously, we had a red card in the weekend, and you can sort of handle that twenty minutes versus you know sixty minutes what we would have had with um, with fourteen. So that's one good side of it, I think. I, I, t- I totally agree with what you've said, and and the, the referees do have the ability to mitigate and, and mitigate. You know, was there intent there? You know, um, how did the other player influenced that head contact as well you know like for example the guy Banks against the force got himself knocked out that's how unexpected mm. he was of what the player 
with the ball had done to him, but yet he got red carded. So I understand the directive coming from World Rugby. We, we want to avoid it as much as we can, but sometimes it, it's just a, a split second in rugby where neither player has any intent and both players just get it wrong, wrong and they collide heads. But at the moment, the referees are hell-bent on putting, giving someone a red card. And you know it must be incredibly frustrating for a coach when you see your player get red carded and he... And he like like Lee, I don't, you wouldn't have seen last night. You would have been in the dark depths of the dance floor at about one p.m. I'd imagine. But you know, Caleb well, Clark, got, safe, mate. You know, no dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw the Caleb Clark incident, but you know, he got red carded and he was actually in the air. There's nowhere he could go, and they said they said that he intended to hurt the player and hit him in the head and got red carded. So. Man, there's got to be a balance here where we get better at this, surely. I know you've been in the situation, that's the reason I ask you, where as a referee, you go along, the Rugby World Cup directive is, hey, you've got to give this a red card. And when you go along to that meeting, have you got to convince them in a big way that that, that there was a reason you didn't give it a red card? Is that what the referees are facing when they do their review? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty pretty well summed up, mate. So, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I hope, have no doubt it's extremely hard for the referee to to go against probably what they're thinking. Um, it is a directive, and that's where we're going. As you said, you know, it's all come from safety, and um, I think you know there's plenty of stats to show that uh, quite often the the tackler is um, is getting more head knock than the actual ball carrier. So, you know, again, mm-hmm. I think it's just it's it's where we're at with this. Is you're right with that, Marty. Uh, the Banks one that obviously he he was in a World of hurt, and then also getting a red card. So it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a double whammy. But yeah, it, it is, you know it's a head scratching one at times, isn't it? It, it is, uh, Jack. I mean, I you know I look at it and, and think you know you got a, what a hundred meters by fifty five meter piece of grass and thirty big blokes running in different directions with intent. Uh, there, uh, there's going to be contact that isn't intentional, um, but it seems like. As soon as there is contact between two players, it, you know, intent doesn't seem to come into it. It's just like I have to make a decision, and somebody has to uh, be disciplined for it. There doesn't seem to be any leeway other, uh, anywhere else. Yeah, and then you know, it's, we could talk about it for for days around what what is the outcome and what's the right way of doing it. Um, I, you know, I still don't know. I, I I think you've used the right word. It's it's all about the intent and and. Uh, you know, we clearly got something wrong um, in the weekend, and it was that, that's what a red card is there for. Um, anything sort of accidental. Uh, I, I think if, if there's time and, and a space where the tackler can see what's going on, then um, that, that, that's, that, that changes the picture. But, you know, with, with line speed and, and people, like you said, in a short, small space, changing direction at full noise, there's always going to be the odd uh, clash of heads that was purely accidental, which probably shouldn't... Uh, equate for him to have to spend the rest of the game off. Hey, well, Jacko, um, really appreciate you joining us, mate. I know you're on the bounce from a wedding, getting yourself back over onto the Gold Coast, which no doubt I'm sure you'll enjoy that that, that area of Australia. But uh, we've been really impressed since we last talked to you. There's been a lot of positivity, positivity about the way that the Drew have been playing. Looking forward to seeing you get some games in Fiji and, more importantly, here in New Zealand and continue to progress. Um, so you got you guys are doing a good job, you Mick Byrne and your coaching team. And thanks for coming on, Matt. Appreciate it. Awesome, fellas. And I know uh, plenty of people in Aussie uh, loving the show. So uh, keep up the keep up the good work. It's great to have it back on uh, radio. Awesome.
Cheers, Jacko. Thanks very much, mate. Go well, safe travels, and uh, we'll catch up with you again throughout the season. Of course, Glenn Jackson, the assistant coach of the Fijian Drua, uh, now through the season. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, actually? You know, Justin, I can't think of another person who has played at Super Rugby level and, and knocked on the door of international, then switched and been a referee and had a decent career at that and refereed World Club, Cup level and, and then moved into gone back to the playing side of it as a coach. I think he's the only one that I can think of. Yeah, absolutely. And it just goes to show how well-rounded Jacko is and it's great to chat to him because he can give you a perspective which I thought that he had better than anyone. You know, a former player refereeing the game um, and some of those key moments in games where he had been not long out of the game and understood how a player was compromised, he could referee that really well and he could understand and have sympathy for the, for players when, you know, the law sometimes doesn't allow you to do that. Mm. If, if, if someone hasn't played the game and they just look at it as this is the law, um, you know, it can it can be refereed poorly and, and wrongly. And um, Jacko had a real understanding of that, which which was which was why he was one of the world's best referees and refereed Rugby World Cups. But, yeah, really well balanced. I played with Jacko at, at Saracens. I've played against him in Super Rugby and, and NPC level. Um, he was obviously a New Zealand Māori player as well, and he was, was very much knocking on the doorstep of being an All Black. So you combine all that knowledge and put it into a coaching cap as well. Um, you know, there's not many people, like you say, Ricardo, that have, have done and, and ticked all of those boxes. So... Yeah, it's good. It's always good sitting down and having a chat to Jacko. And I like taking the piss out of him about his referee days, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but um, he knows how much of a pain in the ass on the field I was because he got to hear me being on the opposite side of uh, of, of the of the equation, you know, uh, as well. So it was quite funny. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I thought I think you set the standard, didn't you? I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure Cameron Smith, the old Melbourne Storm captain, was uh, was was a big fan of yours because uh, you know he refereed league games like you used to referee rugby games, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, but I, I only learned from the best, mate. Believe me, like uh, you can't tell me that George Gregan wasn't chirpy and didn't bloody referee his way through the whole game. And I obviously had somebody outside me as well who you always knew when he wasn't happy, Mertz, because before, just after the whistle had blown and if there was a shot of him and his ears in the vicinity and it was a penalty or a decision that involved him, before anything, you could see him reaching up towards his mouth and that mouth guard would be on its way out. And I knew straight away, there's a spray coming here, big time. And I'm going, and I'd always be in the facility to hear what he had to say because he usually didn't hold back. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I learned from the best. Yeah, he's never short of a word, is he, uh, Andrew Merton? So this is the uh, Bunnings Trade Rugby Run, Ricardo Bull, Justin Marshall with you. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. We're going to wrap your Super Rugby round and preview the Canes Chiefs next. 10 away from 3. From 3 o'clock, we'll have live commentary of the Cricket World Cup Final Australia. Boy, it's uh, looking pretty ominous. 160 without loss, Marshy. 29 uh, overs in, and the, and the Poms sent them in. Yeah, God, they're a pretty good opening stand, aren't they, um, Healy? And help me out. Uh, yeah, no, good question. Good question. Uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but anyway... At least I got the Healy part right, but I was watching some of the highlights the other day of their semi-final, and those two were, up until the point I watched it, they were 80 without loss at that stage. Um, and I heard Smitty, actually, who was commentating on it, saying just how good a opening partnership they are. So that's only reinforcing the fact now that they're 160 for none. And being sent in, you know, there must have been a little bit in the pitch for that to happen. So, 
Yeah, looking pretty ominous, unfortunately, for England. Yeah, well, Rachel Haynes is the other player. And uh, just to, so you know that the commentators... <laughs> that was a quick Google. It was. The, 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 the commentator's curse is, uh, is, is alive and well, Marshy. Just as we said that, Rachel Haynes got out. So. <laughs> oh, no way. I tell you what, mate, I'm on fire this, um, after, uh, this weekend because I also um, absolutely cursed Mitch Hunt because I know when he decided to take that three points... On the weekend, I said, I think it's a good decision. He doesn't miss from here. He's one of the genuine sharpshooters of the competition, were my words. <laughs> Boom, he misses one thing. He could usually kick with his eyes closed. And now I've just got a, a dismissal, international dismissal. So As well. I'm going That's all right. right. You go, you're going really well, mate. You're going really well. Hey, we should talk uh, Canes uh, at home against the yep. Chiefs. Uh, of course, Adi Savia uh, back in the team. Boy, they missed him against Moana Pacifica. What, what, are, you, what are you expecting? I'm expecting a belter of a game. Like both seeds, uh, teams are super stacked um, with quality players. Uh, no doubt about the fact that the returning players will really help. Adi Savia back for the Canes, but equally, uh, the man that's in t- tip-top form at the moment for the Chiefs, Peter Gus Sawakula. Um, you know, obviously, I mentioned earlier that Josh Iwane is getting his opportunity to start at ten. Um, Peranada is um, you know, making his second start for the year. Um, you know, and again, Geordie Barrett. How's he going to go at 12? Uh, there's plenty of contests out there. Also, really good to see Luke Jacobson back in the reserves for the Chiefs. He was injured in the first round, so this is his first opportunity to get back on All Black last year. And obviously, that's a very good back row when you've got Sawakula, Sam Kane, and Caelan Bosch, Bosch here as well. Um, to have him in the mix, you know, just reinforces how deep that Chiefs squad is. Well, yeah, exactly right. Um, it's, it's extremely deep. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the things I was going to say was uh, not to do with the Lucys, but to do with the locks. I mean, they lost Brody Retallick last week. He's going he's yep. to be out for six to eight weeks. And I thought Josh Lord had a magnificent game in uh, in that match. But uh, no Josh Lord this match. They've, they've rested them all together. So the starting locks are Tupu Vai and uh, Nayatoa uh, Koi, who made a great uh, great fist of it off the bench. And uh, Lachlan McFannell off the, uh, is, is, the, is the reserve lock. So that depth in the second row at the Chiefs is huge too. Yeah, it is. But in saying that, you know, they have opted to move Tupuvai into the locking mm. position. And I think we've we've spoken about this previously that uh, he actually has found himself a real niche on the blind side. I thought it was starting uh, for us to see some of what we knew he had in terms of potential and, and what was... Uh, dynamic about his game was was again coming to the forefront where he was finding his way around the field a lot better um, from that position. So, you know, tightening him up and putting him back into that second row, it'll be interesting to see whether or not his confidence levels of playing six enable him to be able to get into the game in a dis- different position, you know, because obviously he has to, you have to clean, basically what you have to do when you're in a tight five is you have to clean rucks more. Mm. So, you know, Lucy still have to clean rucks, but type five have to clean twice as many rucks as the loose forwards. And so that takes you out of the game in another capacity. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays this afternoon. Another little fascinating um, mini battle within the game as to can they get Tupuvai into the game, switching him into the second row. And of course, uh, we have uh, TJ Perinari up against Brad Weber as well. The two uh, guys vying yeah. for the number two spot of the All Black halfbacks. Uh, which way are you leaning on this match, Marshy? Just before we go, 
uh, I'm leaning very faintly towards the Chiefs with zero confidence, so don't put your house on it. <laughs> oh, it's too late for that because I've already backed them at $1.68 at the TAB. Uh, I've multi that up with the Eels this afternoon. Marshy, wish me luck. Good luck, Ricardo. You're such a good gambler. <laughs> <laughs> For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.